can take your Bibles and open them to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And I'm going to read a shorter section today than we've been reading as we focus in on this parable. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4, and then I'll read verse 19. We'll read the parable, then we'll read Jesus' own explanation of His parable. The verses 3 and 4, And He told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And in verse 19, Jesus explains, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. You may have a seat. So we have, over the past two weeks, we've built our scaffolding around this parable, if you will, this this towering parable. And in Mark, Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand any of the parables. And so this parable sort of stands forth as as a a priority in our minds. We need to understand this. So we've sort of uh, uh, built scaffolding around it so that we could walk around it and look at it. We looked at it from the outside on the first week, just kind of making some observations. And what we saw just, just on a surface level in reading this parable, we learned that the word of the kingdom, the word of God, or the gospel of the kingdom is absolutely primary in the advance of God's kingdom. That if the, if the kingdom is going to grow, it's going to be through the spread of the word of God, not through simply social justice or just being nice. Those things will come along with it, but if the word's not there, there's no kingdom. There, there must be the seed. And this parable is primarily about the Word going forth and how the human heart receives the Word. And then last week we were able to walk around this scaffolding, if you will, look inside the windows, and we just kind of seen some things that we would that, that just kind of pop out um, that are the most noticeable. And I believe the most noticeable thing that we see when we read this parable is that every soil received the same seed from the same sower and yet produced a different response. They all reacted differently. And then we looked at how Jesus explains the parable. What we learned is that in, in the parable, all of these hearts received the same gospel from ultimately the same source. It's God's gospel. And yet they all responded differently. They all reacted differently. And the point last week was there's no guarantee that just because you hear the Word, read the Word, or however it comes to you, there's no guarantee that it's going to be eternally beneficial. You can hear it all day long and it prove no positive fruit. It may produce negative fruit, it may harden your heart, but there's no guarantee that it's going to produce positive fruit. And it will depend on the nature of the heart as to whether or not that word is received or whether it is rejected, whether it is choked out, whether it is fruitful, it depends on the heart. Now today, we get to climb inside this parable. And we're going to rummage, we're beginning to rummage through the the details and we're going to spend a Sunday on each of the various soils for the next three weeks. And we're going to look today at the the pathway soil, then we'll look at the rocky ground, then we'll look at the, the thorny ground, and then we'll look at the, uh, at the good soil. So I guess that'll be the next four weeks. And we're going to learn exactly what's going on inside the human heart. So perhaps the Lord will, will help, help us to see what's going on in our own hearts, spur us to seek Him more diligently. So as we move into the exposition, what I, what I want us to do and what we have to do oftentimes in these narrative passages of Scripture is we have to get inside the first century. 
but to get back into the time of Jesus and hear our Lord as He explains the inner workings of the human heart. And, and I hope that we've already asked the Holy Spirit to break up the ground of our hearts so that we might be found fruitful hearers of the Word. That's the goal. We want to be fruitful hearers. So, we'll look at verses 3 and 4. And most of you have an outline, which is good. <clears throat> kind of see where I'm going. The first thing that we're going to look at, and a lot of this will kind of be review and then going a little deeper. The pathway soil. Verse 3, we, we run into the sower. Jesus says, a sower went out to sow. Now remember, a parable literally is a story that is thrown alongside a teaching. Para, alongside. Bale, to throw. It's thrown alongside. So what Jesus is doing is He's giving a teaching and this story as a parable would come alongside it and what would often happen was the teaching is, is hard to understand. So the parable is Jesus or whoever the teacher was trying to break it down into the terms of the common man. And so when He says a sower went out to sow, <clears throat> He's using common pictures, common language, something that everyone in this crowd would have said, oh yeah, sower. More than likely in this crowd, there were many people there who would have said, oh, I sowed yesterday, or I've sown many times in my life. Now for us, this is not as common. And so we have to kind of think in, in terms of the first century. Today's equivalent might be if I said, a guy went to pump his gas. We all say, oh yeah, I pumped gas. Or if I say, a lady went to the grocery store. We all understand. Okay, I get that. The grocery store. Not all of us can say that we understand from first person experience going out into a field to sow seed. But that's what he's doing. He's using a very common thing, a sower, to explain this story. And remember, like we said last week, this is one single sower, one man going out alone by himself into his field with one task, one intention. He's going out to do his daily work. And his goal is get this field sown. Now, most of the time when we think of farm work, our first thought, or for me specifically, is what I see when I'm riding down the road. You look in the field and you see big machinery. For most of us, we don't have a clue what that machinery is. We don't know if this is a machine that is gathering up something or if it's putting out something. This farmer is going out not with the modern advances that we have. He's not going out to hop in, in, the, in the cab of an air-conditioned tractor to sow. He is going out just the farmer and his seed. And that's the next thing we see. The sower went out to sow in verse 4 as he sowed some seeds. <clears throat> He's probably carrying something that we would think looks like a, a, a lady's purse around his shoulder full of seed. And he would have just walked out into his field, nothing fancy, animal skin, sack, full of the particular seed that he has determined to sow. And as he sows, he would reach his hand in and throw some out. Reach his hand in and throw some out. Reach his hand in and throw some out. This is how a sower would sow. And like all seeds, the farmer, or like, like all seeds, these seeds and the intention of the farmer is that the seed finds a place where it can get everything that it needs to grow. It needs warmth, it needs moisture, which together make humidity, and it needs air. And it can find all of these things in the proper place inside the soil. So the desire, as he sows, is these seeds would find a place down in the soil where they, those seeds can receive warmth, moisture, and air so that it can grow into what we learn in verse 8, healthy grain. Then the next thing we see is the soil. And in this particular parable, this is the pathway soil particular to today. His field either the day before or weeks before, would have already been prepared for this seed. He would have gone out probably with, with some oxen pulling a yoke or a, a donkey pulling a yoke or some kind of animal pulling 
uh, or, or, or pulling a plow to plow up this soil, to turn it over, to take whatever was dry on top and put it on the bottom and get whatever was wet down underneath and flip it over and break up the fallow ground and, and prepare this soil to receive the seed down in it. It would reveal crevices and cracks and open up the ground so that when the seed was simply thrown out, it would fall down in these places into the soil. He's already prepared the soil, but here we see that the seed falls on the pathway. It doesn't fall where he wants it to fall. It falls in the pathway. He says that some seeds fell along the path. So what's a path? Well, remember, this is an agrarian society. So they're going to use the land as much as possible. This is how they live. Okay, so this is not this idea of a little backyard planter that they've made, and we're going to, it's our hobby to grow a few tomatoes. No, every piece of land they can possibly use, they're going to use because our culture relies on this. Well, you can't just take an entire countryside and cover it with grain where people can't even commute without stepping on grain. You have to have places for people to travel, and so what they would do would they would leave pathways in between fields, possibly between, between different crops for people to travel and commute. And this is one of those pathways. This was a common practice. If you want to flip back over to Matthew chapter 12, verse 1, we read, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. So there... They were walking through the grain fields, but they were able to reach out and pluck heads of grain. So there's these pathways that were always left. You didn't toil up, you didn't, you didn't till up the pathway, you left it. And so they were mashed down, trodden down under people's feet, hard, almost like rock, this pathway soil. So in this first soil of the parable, the seeds are thrown out. They don't fall where the sower wants them to fall on this soil that's already broken up. They fall on this well-beaten path. It would be like our sidewalks. It's of no use to a seed whatsoever. And they would just bounce across the pathway and lay there on the top of the pathway. They would get no nutrients. They would just be in direct sunlight. There'd be no water unless it happened to rain. Laying there in the open air in plain sight of the birds. And that's what we see next. The seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Now perhaps some of you have noticed when you mow your grass, birds are smart. When you mow your grass, birds will come because they know this grass where these where bugs and stuff have been hiding has now been flipped and cut and turned and blown and bugs have begun to scatter. Birds will swoop in and and they love freshly cut grass because there's bugs everywhere. They can sit and eat and, and, and get a free, easy, quick meal. And this has always been the case. The same would have been the case for the sower. Birds would have been able to watch and follow a sower as he threw the seeds. They're watching for those seeds that didn't make it into the, down deep into the soil, the ones that were left in plain sight. And so they're watching. And by their amazing eyesight from high in the sky or just Hopping along behind the sower, they would have watched these seeds fall along the pathway. These seeds on the pathway would have made quick, easy meal for these birds. So that's the parable. The seed is sown, falls on the pathway. The pathway was the pathway before the seed got there. The seed didn't make the pathway the pathway. It had no effect on the pathway. It just found the pathway as the pathway. And the soil, the pathway, does not receive the seed, and the seed is eaten by birds. Now let's look at how Jesus explains this in verse 19 as He explains to us the misunderstanding heart. He doesn't directly address the sower again. He just says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom. Now notice that Jesus says, anyone. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom. This, this shows us and it allows for the lone sower to be applied out to anyone who would sow the seed, all having the same ultimate source. So remember, we looked at verse 37 of this chapter. 
And assuming that these parables are connected at least a little, the one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. And the Son of Man, Jesus, in chapter 10 we learned how Jesus called His disciples to Himself and He sent them out as apostles. By definition, those sent with a message. And the apostles would preach and teach and they would proclaim the gospel and they, they wrote letters and they collected those writings and we have the New Testament apostolic writings and now we receive the word of the kingdom, the gospel, the word of God. And so anytime Christ or an apostle or now all believers, anytime we proclaim the gospel and anyone hears, they fall into this category. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, anytime the gospel goes forth from the time of Christ to the time He comes and returns, there is an opportunity, there is a time for warning about the pitfalls of the pathway soil. Anytime it goes out, you better be, be wary because there's always the pathway soil. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and that's the seed. Remember, the seed is the word of the kingdom, the word of God, the gospel of the kingdom as it's often called. Here we see the primary mission of Jesus the primary mission of the apostles, the primary mission of the church. Jesus did many things, but His primary duty was that of preaching and teaching the Word of God. The apostles, the word apostle, by definition, one sent with a message. And then we, the church, are sent out to go and make disciples of all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. We're teaching the Word. So Christ and then the apostles picked up the baton and we come along and pick up the baton, baton after them locally and globally. Anytime we preach the gospel, we are spreading the seed, sowing the seed. And so when Jesus says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, He's opening the door to all without exception. This shows how we view the mission field. Don't ever let anybody say, because you believe this or because you believe that, oh, that means you only share the gospel to these particular people. No, sir. We believe where there is a creature, I said this last week, where there is a creature, there should be a preacher. Where there is a living soul, that person should hear the gospel. And we should be training up people to go and proclaim the gospel to all people. We believe in the free offer of the gospel to all men. So, we should give anyone the opportunity to be a pathway hearer if that's where they are. They should have that opportunity. They should have the opportunity to be good soil or thorny soil or rocky soil. We believe that when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, but then he goes on to say when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand. Now this is the key to this particular soil. Does not understand. This should be a familiar term. I know that you all remember this so distinctly from back before we did the, the series on the family. We learned it when we looked at verses uh, 14, 15, 13 of the same chapter. The term sunami means to put together. A more modern term that I think fits better with this word is to comprehend. Com means together. Prehender means to grasp, to grasp together. This word tsunami means to put together. Remember I said, we, we might say it finally clicked. It, it goes together, it connects. So this word means to connect by way of hearing. To grasp the concepts and see the proper connection. To hear it and then connect it with some already existent knowledge in your mind. You hear it and you say, oh, okay, I see it now. But the pathway hearer does not do that with the Word. They do not put it together. We might say they don't put two and two together. It doesn't click in their mind. We talked about this when we studied verses 13 and 15. Again, Jesus was addressing certain people and, and why He was using parables because there were some who would not ever understand. When someone doesn't understand in this way, it's as though they are hearing with their ears, fine. And the concepts and the ideas 
that are being conveyed to them simply don't click in their heart and in their soul with, with what's already there. See, they, we all come with presuppositions. We already have some perceptions. We already have worldviews. And so when the gospel comes to this person, what they're hearing doesn't click with what they already believe to be true. It doesn't connect. Think about the way the gospel comes to a person. For it to connect, for the word of the kingdom to connect with me, there must be something already in me for it to connect with, to latch on to. Think about this. Uh, I don't know if newer cars are like this. Um, older cars, you hop in the back, save an old car, you've got to buckle your seatbelt, and you reach down, what, there's nothing there. The female end of the seatbelt, yes, the female end of the seatbelt has slid down into the seat. You can't find it. It's gone. So what do you do with this? It's useless. The male end of the seatbelt is useless because it has nothing to connect to. So you just let it dangle there. The same is, is happening here. The Word has gone forth. It's landed on the pathway soil and there's, there's nothing for it to even attach itself to. Or... To use the analogy again, it's, you, you're just stuck with this dangly, shiny car ornament. That's, that's all it's useful for. Useful for until you get that other end out and connect it, that other end, it's useful, useful for nothing. That's what it means when he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand, they do not click. The, the, the message doesn't click in their heart and in their mind. Then he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, and this is what happens when they don't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Who is the evil one? Well, this is Satan. This is the devil, the, the accuser of the brethren. Lucifer, who was once the most glorious of the angels of heaven, who was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels of heaven because of his pride and his arrogance. And now he's called the prince of the power of the air, the the, the God of this world He's referred to as in Scripture. The Bible tells us He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom He may devour. He's looking for an opportunity to pounce on anyone. And how does He work? Well, He began in the Garden of Eden. Did God actually say, you may not eat of any of the trees of the garden? Oh, you will not surely die. God knows in the day that you eat it, but you'll become like Him, knowing good and evil. He attacks the Word. He's never stopped. He's always began, or He began and He has always waged war on the Word. And here we see it again. He's coming in, He's swooping in and taking the Word. Now, Satan is not omnipresent. More than likely, I don't know for certain, but more than likely most of us have never been personally attacked by Satan. He's got bigger fish to fry than us. But he has minions of demons who are all over the earth, all over the world, all the time, day and night, and their supreme and ultimate aim is to overthrow and ruin all of the work of God. They're, they're, just, they're just waging war. Now, that sounds scary, and a lot of times we, we get worried, and many Christians are very down and out about this, but we have to remember, Satan, we talked about this Recently, also, Satan is a defeated foe. Christ has already made an open spectacle of him at the cross. This is funny, I'm just thinking of this. Christ was crucified outside of the city, and it says people walked by and they wagged their heads, and they, they thought Christ was being made the open spectacle. What was actually happening in the supernatural realm was, was Satan was being made an open spectacle for all to see as Christ conquered over Satan and his demons. So... Satan knows this. He's not, he's not stupid. He might be foolish, but he's not stupid. He's a defeated foe, so he's waging war from a position of defeat. He's like a mortally wounded animal who has become viciously ferocious in his final hour, fighting for his life and just afraid. He's, he's trying to take down everybody he can with him, but he already knows he's going down. He's, he's lost. And so, Satan or one of his demons can come and can rob you of the Word at any moment. If they can, they, they will. That's what they do. They're like birds. They're hovering. They're watching. They may be here now watching, waiting for the Word to swoop in and to take it. 
They hate God's word. They hate God's kingdom. They hate God's people. They hate you. They hate your family. They hate your children. Satan is truly the evil one. So this is what happens. The word goes forth from the mouth of Christ or an apostle or, or you or I. The gospel goes forth. And a person hears it. A person hears the gospel of the kingdom. And they begin to analyze it in their mind and they're thinking. And we, we've all been there. They're thinking about it. And it just it doesn't click with what they already, they're already thinking. It doesn't make sense with what they believe in their worldview. And that's a problem. The gospel of the kingdom is opposed in every way to the way a natural person thinks. The natural man has no way of making sense of what he's hearing. And because he has no foundation, no basis on which to lay the gospel of the kingdom, there's nothing to connect it to. The female end of the seatbelt slid down in the seat. It's gone. He's, there's no connector. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't comprehend it. And it makes no sense. Now, forgiveness, they might understand that a little. They probably had to forgive some people who've done wrong to them. Wrongdoing, absolutely. You do not have to be regenerate to understand it's wrong to steal or wrong to kill. They, they understand that. We all know lost people who don't like it when somebody bad mouths them or, or you know, the, the classic is what do you do with somebody who uh, doesn't believe in sin? R.C. Sproul says steal their wallet. You'll, you'll prove to them real quick that that's how you, they believe in sin. Heaven? Sure. Who doesn't want heaven? Hell? Who wants that? When you give them that option, lost people can grasp these concepts. But the sinless Son of God, born in the likeness of sinful flesh and for men, living as a perfect substitute in the place of sinners, dying on the cross in the place of sinners, imputing His righteousness to all who believe, and all of this by the pure grace of God, the natural man has no category for that. You mean to tell me I do nothing? You mean to tell me this person who's done this, and this person who's done this, and I who've done none of those on level ground and receive grace freely from the same God if we just come in repentance and faith? The natural man has no category for this. And so when the person hears this, and hearing does not understand, Satan, probably, probably by way of his demons, or he will even use other people in other scenarios, is sitting and waiting and watching to snatch away this word. He will give it no opportunity to, to sit and ruminate in the heart, to, to, to germinate. He doesn't want it to settle. He will come quickly and he will steal it. I'll reference later John 10.10, uh, 10, I believe. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is one of the jobs of the thief. He steals the word. Now, this is the end of the exposition. Now, let's, let's apply this. What are some doctrines that we learn here? Well, the first thing that we learn is, and this will be true for all of these soils, is the prerequisite of hearing. The prerequisite of hearing. As wretched sinners, dead in trespasses and sins, the wrath of God is not heading towards us, apart from Christ, it's already on us. It abides on us already, doomed to eternal punishment under God's wrath, unless, that's, that's the state of natural men, unless we hear the life-creating Word of God. We will remain in that state, dead in trespasses and sins, unless we hear the Word of God. You must hear the Word of God. If any of this is to be possible, then you must hear the Word of the Kingdom. Whether you are to comprehend it or not, you must hear. Whether you understand it or not, you must first hear it. Whether you receive it rightly or not, you must first hear it. You, there's no option of rejection or acceptance unless you first hear the Word of God. Whether it is for salvation, that initial hearing where you're born again, by a living and abiding Word, or whether it's through sanctification daily being built up by the Word of God, whether it's through personal devotion, or whether it's through corporate times like this where the Word is going out corporately, you must hear the Word. And the next thing, we also need to understand this prerequisite of hearing, it's not just about us. 
the world must hear the word. If we stop with just us and say, yay, great, we heard the word, we've missed it. The world must hear. Romans 10, 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It's rhetorical. They can't. They won't. They will not hear without someone preaching. They will not believe if they've not heard. They will not call on Him if they have not believed. And so if we hear and we receive, then we must be faithful to go out and herald the gospel and slash or open up our wallets and fund the ministry of those who will go out. As it's been said, we're either going down into the well or we're holding the rope for those who are going. But either way, everybody's hands are getting blisters. The world must hear. We must proclaim it. You must hear. So, so a good question at this point is, are you hearing the Word? Are you comprehending personally, individual, as families in the church? Are you hearing and comprehending? There will be no change without first hearing. Lazarus would have stayed in the tomb. His body would still be rotting there now had Jesus not said, Lazarus, come forth. And if he had not said Lazarus, I believe every tomb would have opened. Until we hear the word, we stay dead. And so we have to first hear. And then we continue daily feasting on the word of God for sustenance and life. Again, that's obvious. Probably going to, I can just copy and paste that point every week for the next four weeks. We have to hear the word. But now in this particular soil, we need to understand the importance of comprehension. This is, this is where it gets to us as, well, we'll see. The importance of comprehension. The problem of sin has as one of its foundations, I wouldn't say primary, but one of its main foundations, the failure to comprehend with the mind. And I'll prove this from Scripture. Hearing is not enough. And even believing is not enough if you believe the wrong thing. Trusting is not enough if you trust the wrong thing. Muslims believe and they trust. They just trust the wrong thing. There are many people in different quote-unquote Christian denominations who believe greatly in Jesus Christ. We can say Mormons. Mormons believe and trust in Jesus Christ. They just believe in the wrong Jesus. So you have to comprehend rightly. Consider the crowds that Jesus already addressed. In verse 15, he was quoting from Isaiah. He said, This people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Listen to this. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand. Same word. Understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus had already made it clear in this crowd, you guys on the beach, there will be some of you and you will not understand what I'm saying. You will never comprehend this word. But He also makes it clear that if you will hear and if you will see and if you will comprehend, you'll be saved. Now they had heard and they had seen, but it just for some of them it would not click in their minds ever. They would never understand and this this idea of the mind and the heart is kind of joined together and, and there's a connection where the mind hears and the heart receives and they, they work together. So don't really get caught up too much on the, the distinction of heart and mind in the, in the way the Bible talks and especially the, the Jewish way of thinking of the heart and the mind and, and the way those work out. I'm not, when I say mind, I'm not thinking strictly the intellect. And when I say heart, I'm not thinking strictly emotions. It's the heart and the mind. It's the way you comprehend and connect the two. And agree in your soul that these things are so. Consider the logical progression of depravity. In Romans 1, Paul explains the problem of humanity. This is, what, 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 this is how we've gotten to where we are. He begins in verse 19 by saying, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have, clearly been, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For 
Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Notice this. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So he's explaining this slippery slope where we slide off into total depravity. He says what can be known about God is plain. There's no such thing as an atheist. Everybody knows there's a God. They knew God. All people know that there's a God, but they said, well, we're not going to honor Him, and we're not going to give thanks to Him, and they became futile in their thinking. And eventually, because of their futile thinking, their hearts were darkened. Their foolish hearts were darkened. And notice all of that language about the knowledge. It's based on the use of the mind and their comprehension of God. We know there's a God, but we're going to refuse to acknowledge Him. We're just going to act like He's not there. And in verse 28 of that same chapter, it says, since, God did not see fit, or since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So see, the conclusion is being given over to a debased mind. People say all the time, if we're not careful, God's going to pour out His wrath on America. Folks, we're already there. He's already given us over. The, the, and this is a quote that I heard this weekend. The, the, I think it's, let's see if I can remember it. The, 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 the scariest anger or the most anger we'll ever see from God is when we, we don't see His anger. Whenever God says, fine, and He becomes neutral, that's when we should fear. When laws are made and people just do as they please, that's when we should fear. That's when His wrath is being poured out. And when it says He gave them up to a debased mind, He just gives them up and says, fine, have, have your sin. That's the end. And the, it's being given over to a debased mind. It's their brains, their intellect, their understanding, their comprehension is handed over to sinful lust. They would rather have that than God. Or consider... Paul's warning to guard the mind. In Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. It says, now, I say, or now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Notice, Futility of the minds. Darken in understanding. Ignorant. It's the way you think. And he's warning them about this intellectual depravity. That's what total depravity means. It's not just your body. Your body will rot and die and they will fold that thing up. They'll crunch your legs together and put you in the dirt. Your body will die. And your heart is wicked and evil and is tainted with sin, but it's also your mind and your intellect and the way you think. Every facet of the human a person is tainted with sin. And here we're talking specifically about the intellect and the mind and how it connects to the heart. Or consider the admonitions and descriptions of the Christian mind. Notice how Paul speaks to Christians about the use of their mind. In Romans 12 too, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may test what is that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He doesn't say fill it out. Just, just go with the flow. He says, have your mind transformed. Colossians 3.10, speaking of Christians who have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Knowledge. It's not just the heart. You just start feeling better. It's knowledge. It's the way you think. 1 Corinthians 2.16 For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him, but we have the mind of Christ. You see how important your mind is. You see how important it is that you wage the battle for your mind. It deals with how you think, what you know, what you comprehend, what you grasp in your mind concerning the truth of God and your brain connects that with your heart. Consider thirdly, then the next application is, or doctrine is man's natural inability to comprehend. 
We cannot, as natural men, comprehend this. We've already said this. The gospel is, is in opposition to everything we are naturally. Suppose right now as you hear this, you, you're thinking, that's me. I don't understand. When I hear the gospel, it makes no sense. When I read the Bible, I can't make any sense of it. I know right from wrong. I, I would rather go to heaven than hell, but when it comes to spiritual truths, I can't make heads or tails of what's happening. Is, does God require us to simply reach around somewhere that we can't see and flip on the comprehension switch? No. It's not possible. Again, Romans 1 is describing the human condition. Ever since the creation of the world, things about God have been known, but we have refused it. That was us all. Romans 3.11, Paul says, No one understands. No one seeks for God. In our natural state, no one, no Jew, no Gentile, understands the things of God. No one seeks for God. We are all naturally pathway hearers. We are born that way. Downtrodden, hard as a rock. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We are unable to comprehend naturally. That means we must become unnatural if we are to understand the things of God. Or again, those references I made to earlier or scriptures that I made reference to earlier. Ephesians 4, talking about the Gentiles and the futility of their minds. Don't be like them. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Romans 12, 2. Colossians 3, 10. You're being renewed in knowledge. 1 Corinthians 2, 16. We have the mind of Christ. Those were to Christians, not lost people. He's not telling lost people, hey, lost people, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's speaking to Christians. You need to do that. Lost people, you're dead. You need a new mind. You need a new heart. Your natural mind won't work. So we need to understand our natural inability. So let's just summarize what we have so far. We must, under, or we must hear the gospel of the kingdom. The world must hear the gospel of the kingdom. It is of absolute necessity that we and the world comprehend the gospel of the kingdom. But in our natural condition, no man can comprehend the gospel of the kingdom. He has nothing within himself with which he can connect gospel truth. There's no connector. It's foreign to him. So we must conclude with point number five, or number four, the necessity for God's work in us to comprehend. The necessity of God's work in us to comprehend. As natural rebels, that's us naturally, we're rebels, it takes nothing less than a supernatural work of God to create within us hearing ears and understanding hearts and minds to receive. That's why Ezekiel said, speaking the prophecy of God, I will give you a new heart. So what do we do? Perhaps you're there. I don't understand. I want to understand. I see my necessity. What do I do? Well, first, you, you must acknowledge that. Based on the testimony of Scripture, we must all acknowledge and understand that we cannot understand the gospel of the kingdom naturally. In its initial proclamation when we first hear it, or daily when we approach the word of God as believers, naturally we must approach it and say, God, I do not understand this naturally. Acknowledge it. Admit it. We, we, are, we are clueless to what God would have to say to us and how to discern the word apart from His help. Can we read it? Can we read a great, fascinating story? Absolutely. Can we discern spiritual truth? Absolutely not. So we have to admit it. Then secondly, ask for help in prayer. Begin and end. Individual devotion times, family worship times, when you come here to hear the word preached, begin and end with prayer. God help me, I'm unable. I have an inability, I'm a natural man. And I need help. When we realize our need for gospel truth and application and we realize our inability, we will fall on our knees and ask for help. Realizing necessity and realizing inadequacy 
drives you to plead with God. When you realize, I need it, but I can't get it, that's going to drive you to look outside of yourself to, to apprehend it. So here's, here's the problem. A lot of us are not calling out to God and asking for help. What does that show me? Well, it shows me either you don't understand the necessity to hear, you don't realize the need to comprehend, or you don't really believe that you are unable personally to grasp it. One of those, one of those pieces is missing, and you think, I'll just go it alone. I will just continue this path. And that's Christians and non-Christians. Even as Christians, we must daily submit to God and say, God, I, I, I can't understand this without your help. And thirdly, we must do the hard labor of engaging our minds with the Word. This is the hard work. It's not just reading it. It's hard work. It's difficult. And we are so used to hiding behind a southern false humility of ignorance. Baptist historically... Read his history books. Baptists were the ones who said, we don't, we're, we're going to stay away from the, quote, book learning. We don't need no book learning. So we're, we'll just go it alone. And it's come down to us, and we, just, we, we remain in this ignorance. We think it's cute to remain in a pitiful ignorance concerning God's Word. Even preachers wear it as a badge of honor that they are untrained, unlearned, unstudied, simpletons. You bring up college sports, stats, 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 boom, 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 this guy, this is where he played, this is where he's going, I know it. Bring up guns, oh, I shot a group, a group in this big, and this is my caliber, this is how many grains I had in there, and this is what I'm going to buy, this one's coming out next year, they know it all. Politicians, oh this is, he was a senator here and here, and this is his platform, and this is what he's on, all of the facts, and they step into the pulpit, and oh, I don't know nothing but this Word of God, and I hope I'm flipping the pages right, and all I know is that Jesus died for me. Like, like, it's, like it's a bragging point that you're a foolish, ignorant person. When we realize, and I think this is key, we've got to get this, when we realize it's not just about knowledge. Some people say, well, well you, you just read. You got, your, you got your pamphlets back here because you want to puff up your brain. No, 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 that's not it. When we realize that knowing God, it's about knowing God. Knowing God requires us to do the hard labor of engaging not only our hearts, but our minds with the study of the Word. We will engage ourselves. We will do the work. We will buy the books. We will do whatever it takes because we know when I learn, when I read this verse, and it doesn't make any sense, but this guy wrote a 500-page book to explain this verse, and whenever I've learned it, I will know my God better. We will pursue it because we want to know God. Not because we want to debate or because we want to argue, but because we want to know God. This is eternal life that they know you the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. How has God revealed Himself, especially to His people? Not in pictures. Not in whatever else. It's through His Word. And so when we come to the Word, we must acknowledge, I can't figure it out. We must ask for help. God, help me. But then at that point, we don't just stop and say, all right, I'm going to start reading and hope that it downloads into my brain. No, we do the hard work of engaging our minds with the Word. It's hard. I think some people are under the impression that guys like me just naturally love to read and, and it just comes easy and you, you got those books and man, it, I just wish I could be like you. No, 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 no. I despise it most of the time. Ask Christy, I've got to walk around the garage reading a book or ride my exercise bike reading a book or stand up reading a book because I'll fall asleep. It's so difficult. But you know what I know? When I'm reading and I'm studying, I'm learning about my God. I, I, I'm going to do more than just going out and looking at a blade of grass and meditating and hoping that God tells me something. You know, that's, we, we have to know God. And then the last point is we must fight off the foul of the evil one. 
fight off the foul of the evil one. Satan seeks to snatch away the Word. Again, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I think in this parable, the thief is the evil one. It is Satan. And here he is prepared to steal the Word of God from your hearts right now, today, this sermon. The demons are circling. They're waiting. He wants this Word. He wants these notes, this sermon. He wants to take it and say, you will not have that. He wants it. He wants your mind to wonder. He wants you to think on other things. He wants everything else to, to, to come in and pull you away. He wants you to think, well, I'll just go back and listen to it later. And he's thinking, no, whenever that sermon's over, I'll come in and swoop it out and they'll forget about it later. All the while, he's planning to snatch away what has been sown. And so we must be diligent and quick and sharp to comprehend. Don't give Satan time to swoop in. Don't give him that opportunity. Comprehend the Word now. Engage your mind now. Let it sink in now. We must approach every time that we spend with the Word, every moment like this. Every Bible study, every personal devotion, every family worship hour, every corporate worship hour, we approach it thinking, I've got to get this Word. Because if I don't get it now, Satan might come and snatch it away. So we come to the Word and remember, God is speaking to me. He has a word for me. I'm not thinking about other people. Oh man, wait till they hear this. No, we ask, how can I be transformed? God would speak to me. Lord, help me to understand. Oh God, that you would reveal yourself to me just a little bit more. I think, I think today, God, I'm at the point where I could take another little glimpse if you would just give it. We, we approach the word this way. Don't give Satan a footing. Ask for the Holy Spirit's help when we approach the Word. Christ is King, and He rules over Satan and his demons and the nations of the world. Satan, again, like a wounded animal, is trying everything he can to, to thwart the work of God, to no avail. He's, he's on a leash. He can only do what Christ would allow him to do. We run to Christ in repentance and faith, in His work on our behalf for salvation. And Satan hates that gospel every time it goes forth. He despises it. We must cherish it, proclaim it, and guard it and comprehend it. Let's pray.